Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Michael Chu. Michael enjoys learning about different perspectives and challenging assumptions through questions. He has had a diverse career in finance and operations, software and technology, and regulatory economics, including time training as a locomotive engineer and a product owner. His diverse experience allows him to look at complex ideas through multiple lenses and pinpoint the simplest core values. He is currently unlearning and relearning how to build intuitive web applications and effective architecture solutions as a full-stack developer. Michael is also volunteering with CPA Alberta to help accountants better adapt to the latest in software and technology. Now get ready to be informed as we listen in on a conversation with Michael and Tim Lip. Take it away, Michael. Well, hello, Rainforest Alberta. Welcome to our podcast, Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas. This week, I have Tim here. Uh, Tim, why don't you give us an introduction of yourself and uh, what is your superpower? Thanks, Michael. Um, yeah, my name is Tim Lip. I grew up in Calgary, Alberta. I lived here most of my life, except when I lived abroad for a few years in Nepal doing language research work. Um, currently, the CEO and game architect at Beaver Lodge. My superpower, I would probably say um, I always loved as a kid. Um, I have a huge thing, fascination with commercials, marketing, and tying that back to high-level economic theory for companies. So oh. it's, it's, it's not sure if that's really a superpower or a curse, but just something I find fascinating to do. That's interesting. So why don't you start telling us a bit about what is um, Beaver Lodge and how does it come about? So Beaver Lodge is a, currently it's an app, but the ethos behind the company is we make it 10 times easier for neighbors to collaborate with each other and get discounts on home efficiency with the end goal of reducing our emissions by 50%. Oh, that's cool. So how did you guys come up with the idea or the concept? Uh, I was working at PwC actually at the time, and I had been doing a ton of research on why it's so hard for introverts to solve climate change. And that led me to a data symmetry in the way that home efficiency audits are completed. And because uh, I participated in like a analytics competition at PwC that I had won, I was really starting to become aware about how powerful um, good system design and data analytics can be. And I thought we could apply that core technical strength that's a field that's really emerging and exploding to optimizing the largest asset people own while really giving uh, introverts who up until now like the only thing you can do if you care about the environment or either go to a protest or go to an event mm -hmm. um, with our app people can actually be a real practical part of drastic climate change reduction just while staying in their home um, be part of something that really scales nationwide rapidly. That sounds really awesome. And I know there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot more gaming, gamification happening in the technology and space right now. So I'm kind of fascinated because you, you're really tying in the games component with kind of enabling um, everyday users easier to um, help cl with climate change. So 
how did that, so how do you kind of came up with that idea? And then how do you think that's going to help from changing behavior standpoint? Well, I think the idea of play theory and turning things into games is something all of us do all the time. And it's something that good parents teach their kids from a really young age is to kind of take something that's big, complex and overwhelming and break it down into a simple process that you can actually leverage like competitive dynamics or creative dynamics into solving the problem. I mean, even if you look at um, most of us in our financial careers or whatever career we're a part of, we kind of turn it into a game. Like, when can I get to that next level? How quickly can I get to that next stage? So we're kind of, for us, that's how I see game and play theory really interacting with what we do is it's kind of taking all the things that are in your house that are overwhelming you, and especially when it relates to your utility bill, and make that something simple and actionable for the average Canadian. I have a... I really like your analogy in terms of looking at uh, careers again. So I think we'll probably come back to that a little bit later. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about, because I know you've done a bunch of other ventures before um, doing um, Beaver Lodge. And then also you're talking about competitions with uh, within PwC. Um, can you tell me a little bit what draws you to some of those competitions? Because I know this is not the first time you won a, a kind of startup or a, um, innovation idea competition. So what attracted you to it in the first place and what are some of the lessons you learned? Um, hmm. I've done probably <laughs> the, the first big one that I really won was uh, kind of something organized by Longview Systems called the Change Tank back in 2015. And I went there with some friends. We, I had came across, I, I was aware of this technology a couple of friends that I went to this weekend competition didn't really expect much of it. I actually spent half the competition out of away from the city at a friend's wedding. <laughs> and uh, we walked away from that competition with $30,000 to go make our idea to change the world a reality. Um, that money turned into Project Stoke, which was a business in Kenya, training Kenyan entrepreneurs to build and sell high efficiency cook stoves. Um, we learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes. Uh, made some really good, fantastic partners. I'd known for my previous career in international development, how important local partnerships were. And the best part about that project was we had good local partners. However, um, we fell into a trap that a lot of people can easily fall into where our technology was really exciting and efficient. The stove itself, and this is why I won the competition, we could give off a laundry list of all the ways that our product was the best product out there. However, it missed um, missed one of the single biggest elements for the average user. And that gap in our product itself eventually led to uh, the d- demise of the business. Oh, that's really fascinating. So how long was this how long were you in, were you traveling to Kenya for this as well? Uh, I did I didn't live in Kenya. I did two different trips. Um, okay. But, and my other co-founder, Paisley Dressler, fantastic person to work with, um, she did two trips as well. We did one together and then one each on our own. Um, but at the end of the day, our product, even though our stove was really cool, like it used way less, produced way less smoke, it used way less wood, it had a positive uh, 
impact in terms of the output. It wouldn't just burn wood into ash, it would burn wood into something called biochar, which could be really valuable for gardens and have really interesting applications. Um, even though I had all those benefits, it was it required people to reload the stove from time to time rather than being able to continuously load it. So it was kind of like the difference between um, like a double-barreled shotgun and a gun with a clip. So that the people using the stove had to work, had to start and stop their cooking, which just was not feasible for a busy Kenyan mother with three kids, two goats. They're all trying to get to school. Angie has to cook the meal. And she's, I mean, mothers are incredible, absolutely incredible. And we didn't really spend enough time making sure that the product made their life easier rather than checking off a list of convenience factors, which we thought were important. That sounds, I mean, listening to you talking about just understanding the user journey and then basically how your innovation, your inventions being used um, in the front line sounds like really good um, experience you have. So I know you talked a little bit about, um, in Beagle earlier, you talked a little bit about understanding um, how introverts are using, are having a harder time to engage in kind of emission reduction programs. How did that journey kind of, how did the two kind of came together? Like how important do you think understanding the user experience, user journey is in terms of successful products based on your multiple ventures? Um, I, it's very important. And I think it's continual, it's a continual journey. Uh, for me, it's actually also become to a certain extent, my favorite part of the business. Um, when I get kind of overwhelmed uh, with super high level business conversations, I just go and talk to, I'm currently in, I live in Inglewood, I'm doing a door knocking plan where I, my eight, every day I need to knock on 10 doors and talk to people. Um, and so it's a continually continual process, um, always really trying to understand, like today I met a lady, girl named Sam, she actually has been in the neighborhood for four years and hasn't met any of her neighbors. Oh, wow. So that's, and since then, those neighborhood connections are a really key part of our journey. Getting her to tell that story is going to be really valuable in our product, continued product roadmap. And I, I should also add that it, it doesn't become, it becomes almost more important as we mature as a company. Because when I first started, it was just me digging into this curious question with a couple of ideas. Now we have a team of 10-ish people. And that, uh, so the importance for direction and clarity of focus has gone up exponentially. And customer discovery is the best way to do that. I love hearing about that. So yesterday I was actually helping one of the Husking School entrepreneurship classes as one of the judges for their class projects. And I think always coming back to what you just talked about is the customer discovery and just validating your customer's experience and how they're using or the process of using your product um, is so important. So I'm really glad you're um, highlighting that. Um, I, although, yeah, go ahead. Can I just, there is one thing I think that is important to realize is um, I don't think, I think there's, there can be a risk where you imagine customer discovery to be a perfect answer when in the grand scheme of things, I, it's, it's like, how does an artist do customer discovery versus a politician? Um, and I think, especially for us, when we're doing a business consumer product, we have to think more like an artist doing customer discovery than a politician doing customer discovery. We, 
because we have to really understand and lean heavily into empathy and view it as an iterative process. So we're not going to have a perfect thousand responses that all tell us with these perfect surveys. Um, I know from my past experience as a language researcher that you can easily design a perfect survey instrument, ask it to 500 people, and realize you could have just spent an afternoon talking to local elders and you would have got the exact information. So there's there's a there could be like I think sometimes there's a fetish for customer discovery as like a textbook categorizable quanti quantitative measure. I think it's much very important to take a more qualitative rather than quantitative approach, especially when you're doing something that's never been done. That's really good insight. I'm really I just learned something new from you already. So back to Beaver Lodge right now, what does success look like for Beaver Lodge in three and then five years? So um, the, our team is currently uh, doing a really strong push to get product market fit to verify rock solid product market fit over the course of the summer. Long-term success of Beaver Lodge, I would say is, I, I mean, I think um, based off of different industries I'm tapped into, I think we can create a simple roadmap for average Canadians to reduce their emissions by 50%. Success for us would look like that roadmap being rolled out to a significant portion of the Canadian population. And the methods, as we successfully push it out to a large group of Canadians, um, the learnings and processes we can then apply to different markets in the most effective way. I think. Um, scaling a brand is going to look very differently over the next. Um, is going to look very differently over the next ten years as it did over the last ten years. So how we scale is going to look different, and it's going to be much more culturally. Um, it's going to be much more ethnocentric rather than um, standard one size fits all when you're scaling between different markets. For me, one of the keys to really understanding a good business is knowing how big it can scale while still be true to itself. And as long as you know that, you can the whole journey of building a business becomes a lot more fun and less overwhelming. That sounds like it's gonna be really fun. So I'm curious now, just given all this stuff is happening with COVID and um, has it helped or kind of hindered your venture right now? Um, uh, definitely helped. Um, I, I, we're in a lucky space and I can't really, I mean, there are, there are a bunch of, I, I'm a big fan of uh, a big big fan of theoretical math and understanding the world through a very mathematical lens. And uh, I read um, Benoit Mandelbrot's book, The Misbehavior of Markets, about four months ago, and that, among other things, led me to take my personal money off the stock market. And then the crash of COVID nineteen happened, so I was like, "Oh well, I didn't see it coming," but I kind of lucked out on that front. But the um, implications of it for us as a company have been overall, I think, positive because it's we were already starting to imagine a very different kind of world and been, had been designing our business model around that. And now it's like we encountered a 10-year time jump in what the world we were kind trying to build and the way that the world is now, which is super exciting. That's why I, our team has grown so quickly is because people recognize that when I talk to experienced career professionals about our vision and our path for the next few years. 
they can see how it really ties into um, the way the world is going to be versus how the world was structured six months, a year ago. Nice. That sounds really amazing. So I was just going to say best of luck with um, Beaver Lodge. And I think we're going to come back to that a little bit. So I do want to, so over just, you know, the 15 minutes into a conversation, you already told me so much about all the experience you've had. Um, and I, there's just been so fascinating because I'm hearing is that you started out looking at your resume, you started out in accounting and then you went into social venture. And then you also did a stint in, with linguistics and then obviously consultancy with a PwC. And now sounds like you've been really deep into the strategic world and math. So do, do you, can you walk the audience a little bit through kind of what your career looked like and have any, how do you choose where to go from maybe one role to the next or just from one career to the next? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think to an outside observer, I definitely have some mental health issues, which is true. I'm a bit of a crazy person, uh, but also, I, I mean, I, I, I was homeschooled, but my outlook of the world was already uh, like I, my personal background is different for most. So that that's, that kind of leads to a lot of the eccentricities. But first, it was a international development career in Nepal, working with the organization that manages all the language codes in the world. Oh wow! Um, that was, and then after that. I, I, as much as I love the impact that this organization has, um, and to this day, like a few weeks ago, I had a conversation, the language development project for a group of 300,000 minority language speakers, which my research enabled, is still going on. Um, but I realized that good work was kind of at the behest of bigger business and political forces. So I got into, wanted to study business with an interest in getting into diplomacy, and began that journey at MRU. And while I was there, I attended a UN summit in Kenya, in conjunction with the Swan Prize in Kenya. Great experience. I got to write a speech, got to have some fantastic conversations. Um, but I realized that I really was more of a practitioner and would diplomacy would drive me crazy. <laughs> I just wanted to be on the ground, kind of make things happen. Um, and then, while in university, just to give there, I was essentially involved in three different, three different enterprises. One was Project Stoke, the Cook Stoke business in Kenya I already mentioned. Another was as an intern for a uh, really successful, strong Calgary entrepreneur, Keith Thriver, and he has a bunch of different projects. I was had a fantastic, really grateful to him for that experience. And then uh, the last one was kind of a joint venture in my last semester at university, where I opened up a retail store selling a bunch of ultra-sustainable consumer goods with um, a product producer, supplier, Sun Country Farms. They actually just opened up a store in Calgary. You should all check it out. I think it's Sun Country Eco Store YYC, or Sun Country Community, you can find a YYC Eco Store. And they have a bunch of ultra-sustainable consumer products that I was selling out of the farmer's market. Um, but that business, uh, I, I wanted to get corporate experience and I made a bit of, bit of that business made a bit of money, but I and wrapped it up in July, 2018 and dug into my career with PricewaterhouseCoopers because I really wanted to get corporate experience at the time. I thought getting training as a certified professional accountant, chartered professional accountant might work for me. Um, but really quickly discovered I enjoyed 
hacking, I know not hacking, understanding the intricacies of the software that houses the accounting standards more than memorizing the accounting standards themselves. <laughs> and um, had a fantastic, but I wanted to stick through a busy season. So I learned a lot from PwC, met some great people. And um, after I was given the uh, golden jetpack to explore other opportunities because of not doing the CPA, I pivoted, uh, retrained myself as a product manager, worked for a short stint at a local Calgary fintech called DealPoint. And um, fun, like come October, November, I was interviewing uh, as a product manager for an organization called Code for Canada. I got an offer, but decided to do my passion project with Beaver Lodge. And there, there, were a, there was a few weeks where I turned down this perfect, it was an amazing job, really well, really well paid in the world of product management, but I just couldn't, I was so obsessed with this uh, user consumer question about home efficiency audits and what seemed like, a, it still does like a painfully glaring market gap to me um, that I, dug into Beaver Lodge. That was, that was the not really short version. <laughs> no, I think it was really good summary and kind of listening to you go on your journey. It sounds like you did a lot of very small experiments throughout and then really try to find what you don't like, but then without shutting the door of things that may, you may be interested into. So that I find this a really interesting approach because um, as a CPA myself, uh, I have to do a lot of mentorship for CPA students. Um, and it always comes back. The biggest question that always come to me was like, well, how do I know what I like and don't like? I'm like, I don't think you ever know until you try it out a little bit. And then just you, you need to find a way to understand what things you just absolutely don't like. Is your style of work and environment you just absolutely don't like, but don't close the door on something just because someone told you about it, but you really haven't experimented it. Um, so that's always been my uh, advice to some of my mentees. But one of the things I do want to ask you though, because I, I, I tried different tools by mentees and I really haven't found like a perfect way. Uh, do you have any tools or process where you find out something where it's just, you don't like the environment or the people versus you just don't like that kind of work? How have you differentiated the two? I honestly think this single, um, you're, you're sorry, the, the question you're asking is how do you differentiate between whether or not the work doesn't fit or the people don't fit? Yeah. Is that the question? Yeah, I think you summarized it perfectly, yeah. Um, so the single biggest tool I use is uh, a lot of self-reflection and whether in whatever artistic personal form is most authentic to you, I think. Um, whether for me personally, that's a mix of writing poetry and meditation and uh, just like going on long walks. I think that's really going to be the single most valuable tool because um, our brains are about 90% or I think it's actually like only 2% of our brain is actually rush rational thought. <laughs> most of our brains are intuitive and spending time reflecting enables you to train your intuition so that you can actually make decisions more rapidly without thinking everything through because you can usually think things through in retrospect, especially when you're coming into the world of entrepreneurship, uh, you have to trust your intuition. Otherwise you're never going to get anything done because the rational part of your brain just isn't very efficient. Um, so that's, I think the biggest tool I, I recommend. It is helpful. Um, I usually, I, have a, I usually can make 
friends anywhere I go. So it's never usually been the people I don't connect with. Um, but that's really just unique to my, my experience. So I want to dive a little bit into your experience, experience when you were um, PwC there. Um, just through my experience, I've wanted people, friends I know in all the big four companies. And there's always this mentality um, that, you know, you get an accounting designation and you go into work for an accounting firm and in an audit insurance, then you're basically rising through the ranks. Um, either you're going to be a industry as a controller, or at some point, maybe you're going to be a partner in about five to 10 years, depending on what specialty you have. Um, but based on your experience, you know, do you see that still being viable in the future? Because it sounds like you've done quite a bit of work in terms of accounting, finance systems as well. And with all the stuff that's automation going on, where do you see that career type trajectory is going to go in finance? Hmm, that's, I think, I definitely am not enough of an expert to really be able to answer that question. I think um, the biggest thing that struck me, and even before I was doing the work itself, I was talking to established players they were talking about how um there is there is a lot of automation and for at the end of the day uh from my perspective accounting is more or less just information and as information flows more smoothly because of increased integration between systems and increased trust between society which is good and as computers increasingly enable us to have trust between different players um I think some of the trust verification parts parts of that of those careers might disappear. Um, that being said, it also I think that also gives a really clear path to what where the opportunities are, and that is uh, building, being involved in roles that are that are increasingly about building trust and collaboration between people versus trying to no that sounds awesome yeah audit if there is or isn't authenticity, but. Don't take, if you're considering a career in that path, uh, I probably don't listen to my advice only. I can, I've got, yeah, I, I didn't choose that path for my, for my reasons, but I recognize that um, the biggest, it's really most important for you to understand yourself and your own strengths and weaknesses versus trying to copy someone yep. else's journey. I, I love that you mentioned that because to you, to what we talked about earlier, right? Um, ultimately, your career is just a game, and then you're gonna have to play to the game based on the environment you're in. And I, to your point, there's so much changes going on in all different industries right now with um, automation, data analytics, and just internet of things. Um, yeah. It's gonna be a really different world going, but in like 10 years time. Yeah, just make sure you're playing your game versus someone else's game. Because if you, otherwise you're gonna be miserable. And um, the world is full of miserable people who try to win <laughs> other people's games. Just make sure you're playing a game that's based off of who you are as a person. That's awesome. That's really good advice. Uh, so looking at all of this stuff, I think if you were to give someone who is maybe a student right now or someone with maybe more, who are looking at a non-traditional finance or even just like non-traditional careers in general, what would you say one skill that they really should invest their time or mindset that should invest their time in right now, so they will succeed in the future works. Hmm, one skill. Um, I already said some of the biggest ones for me are around like reflection, self-understanding, um, those kind of things. I think that's that cannot be understated. In terms of specific practical skill, um, like, oh, actually, no, I think, you know what I think it is? I think it would be 
understanding how to distinguish single signal from noise and developing that capacity in almost every single area of your life, uh, whether it's um, knowing to distinguish like how much of Facebook is signal versus noise. And I know Elon Musk, he talks about that a fair bit and uh, he's, he's a huge inspiration to me just because that capacity to not get, not just anyone can find a ton of information, but how to see the most pertinent information to, to that situation is most valuable. And I honestly think the best way to build that skill is by failing because that's how you train your intuition. Uh, that's like the good thing is that's naturally what the human brain wants to do is it wants to be able to distinguish signal from noise. So as long as you're not protecting yourself from every difficulty and failure in life, you're going to be learning it already. That's awesome. And like, you know, what? I'm just, I've been taking some notes throughout our conversation and I, there's four words I just wrote in my notes at the top. Basically, based on the conversation is fail fast, fail early. So that's really awesome. Um, so talking about new skills for the future, on your journey of continuous learning, what are you learning right now? Why do you think you want to be learning next? Um, the biggest thing I'm learning right now is how to manage a big team. And um, where before like organizational plans were kind of a theoretical venture and task management structuring was all theoretical. That's the biggest thing I'm learning. And I'm really fortunate to be able to have a big team to that trust me enough to um, see me make some failures along that journey. Um, so, but I'm not sure. I think if I had tried to learn that two years ago or three years ago, it might've been too early. It, that kind of lesson happens it, it happens at the right time for you. Um, in terms of like really specific practical skills, the biggest thing I'm learning is as I'm going door to door talking to people, how to really be present with them and not just present to the with, with them to the sense of like looking at the rise, all those things. But uh, when they say something that's interesting, dig in deeper, like ask a follow up question. Um, to really understand people and see how they view the world and kind of like enter into a journey of forging the future with them. That's the biggest practical skill I'm learning. I'm doing, I do research on it and I read novels. So I understand more of the human perspective experience. And then I experiment and practice with it when I'm going out talking to people uh, on the street. So one follow-up question for you, just interesting. So for just from your personal experience, from your personal kind of benchmark, how do you tell you've had a good conversation with someone? What's your benchmark? I think the biggest thing is if it's taken me, if I've let myself get off script, I've probably had a good conversation <laughs> because it meant that they were actually directing the conversation. And another one is if they've told me a story, it was a good conversation. That's one of my favorite ones because if they, if I was just asking yes or no questions, then I wasn't doing my job well. Um, but it, they're, when they share their story, it's kind of like them sharing how they made a series of decisions in the midst of crazy, overwhelmed information world <laughs> we all live in. And that understanding that series of decisions they make is really valuable for us and the work we're doing to help people. That's, you know what, I, I've been taking notes while you're speaking because to me, that's really interesting for me and i've been trying to be more present on my own practice in terms of talking to people and just having those conversations this is you've been giving me some really good advice all day so uh, 
Yeah, but unfortunately, our time is getting close. But before we go, uh, can you let our audience know where they can learn more about Beaver Lodge and all the work you're doing? Yeah, so um, beaverlodge.game is the website. Download the app. We just submitted a new version that has like auto login to Google Play, Google, Apple, and Facebook. So that makes it a little bit easier. The app is intentionally really simple. And if you look at it and you finish it in like 20 minutes and think there's nothing left, that's by design. Um, for where we are in our product development strategy. I'd love to hear your, just send me a message through the help and support functions and um, feel free to add me on LinkedIn. I love to chat with people. And um, and if actually, if you're really eager to get some experience um, because our product and we have a clear problem statement, a clear customer market, um, our team has been scaling really quickly and we have a lot of, we're building a lot of momentum. If you want some practical experience, reach out to me. I've been working with a bunch of different students and uh, different career professionals to get tech sustainability related experience. That's awesome. So yeah, and we'll have uh, the link and then also the link to the Beaver Lodge and some of the product you mentioned in the podcast below. But thank you again for your time, Tim. Yeah, my pleasure. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage, inspire, educate together. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.